Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Cheers, Ben. Cheers. Cheers. I don't have many industry people on. I'd like to have more on. Here's why I don't have as many on as I should. Often people feel like they can't tell the true stories because they have to keep their professional reputation intact. Um, There's one guy in particular, I won't name him and shame him, but I was chatting to him the other night and he used to do PR for some of the most legendary 90s bands and he used to get up to all sorts with them and i was like you got to come on the show and he's like well if i came on the show and told you what went on then i wouldn't have a job anymore obviously that's not the case with you but you know your your industry your lane that you're in it it relies very much on people relationships so obviously today i'm going to grill you because you're my mate and i'm going to i'm going to ask you these questions it's then up to you how much information you want to go you know into Okay. Um, so as long as you know that that's the caveat from the start. Yes, yes. I think I was uh, prepared, <laughs> prepared for that. Um, yeah, obviously a bit uh, apprehensive <laughs> on some levels and I have to well, you need be. be careful what I say. To... <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I want to break you in gently with some Birmingham stories. Because for me, and this is why I love being friends with you and I love our connection and the history, our shared history, is when I was a kid, some of my earliest shows and some of my formative experiences, uh, uh, you know, a, a live show was watching your band, which is crazy. Um, but Pignut was the group, legendary Birmingham ska punk band, at least for me. Yeah, and I, I don't know, say not legendary for <laughs> that many people, but uh... I don't know why I remember this, but I'll I'll always remember the lyric. Another day for me, Birmingham seems so empty. I want to be somebody not like all the rest. And it's mad that I remember that, but I think the reason I do is because you know I was seeing bands like Goldfinger at the Foundry and, and Weezer and System of a Down and Less Than Jake at the Old Carling Academy and I was seeing these big American bands but when I saw you guys I was like they're singing about stuff which is relatable to me and this is a band that I can relate to and I remember the night before Kev who was the drummer and singer in Pignut before he moved to Leeds I don't think you were there, but it was me, Kevin, Johnny, and my friend Josh, and, and we were like 16 at the time. Me and Josh were, so those guys would have been, you know, 19, 20. Yeah. And we're in snobs, so we're in there illegally. <laughs> uh, and me and my friend Josh, we, we were smoking a spliff in the club. And I just remember Johnny and Kev were like, well, they must, they didn't say this to us, but they must have thought, who are these kids that we've met? you know, who are essentially fans of our band? They're now out for Kev's last night, and we're smoking weed in snobs good times so kev moved up here what yeah. brought what brought you up to leeds and you're from birmingham originally right yep yep from birmingham or well, certain coalfield just outside of birmingham um i came up to leeds to go to university right makes and, sense yeah and and been here since you, you that was literally what happened you never looked back yes yes yeah. Were you already doing shows and things like that in Birmingham, or did that come way later after you? It was weird. It was. It was. I think so. How it started, like you know, a lot of industry people do. I started in a, in a band myself, as you said. Legendary Scarpers. Well, no, it wasn't actually <laughs> before. I don't think I didn't join Pig Nuts until I, after I came to uni, after I came to Leeds. So, right, yeah, I think I joined. So, yeah, I think I joined the band back in Bowen when I was already in Leeds and had to go back to practices, etc. I was in bands, um, you know, from the age of 15 or, well, earlier than that, but, you know, whether you can call them bands, you know, there's <laughs> yeah, no yeah, gigs, yeah. it's just mates practicing. But, yeah, I think around the age of 16, you know, I got in um, bands. I think the, uh, Wedge was the one of the first ones that we were... Sort of playing shows in, and we were playing shows at um, uh, was it the faculty in Firkin and the Black Horse around the Aston University area? Um, did you support anyone big? No, no, there was that wasn't really that was just local, that was local band circuit. So we were doing local bands, and I sort of I was the one who I don't know, I got I, I was doing, I suppose, you know organizing the gigs to some extent i think i can remember me booking it with the the venue and um i think we we did one at the irish center um, amazing place which was a kind of circuit band uh on the band circuit should we say and um they you know i can remember organizing all that and you know working out selling the tickets and doing that and that gave me sort of the bug for organizing gigs um 
So, so it was a super organic yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, basically, I, all, I was, you know, I started my first shows I was promoting and running wire basically for my own band. Um, yeah, putting the gigs on. And then the actual, you know, it was only for, for our band and or friends' bands, uh, you know, booking sport bands and organizing that kind of thing. I didn't actually start doing uh, touring bands till I came to university and I got um, got a part-time job with the um, events department of the Student Union of Leeds, uh, Leeds Metropolitan University it was back then. And um, I started doing... So I doing the technical sides so as a technician, doing sound lights, you know. So you're kind of learning of, all of it. Yeah, yeah, which is you know to this day has given me a great, um, you know, such a great foundation. Um, yeah, because I've got the you know a bit of technical background and knowledge, shall we say. So I'm quite good with production stuff. Um, yeah, so I went to university doing that, and I was doing that on the same time as doing a university course which what was your in, degree in uh technology and management okay so it was broadly applicable it, uh, the ten it was more it was more of an engineering course okay so not um, really related yeah, no it wasn't music <laughs> anyway and then basically i was so i started doing that and then um i can't remember did yeah i think i mean i can't remember at what point i started doing gigs but i think it was um then i think i then um there were, when was the last was, time you thought about this it's well it's almost i kind of get about it, it's just getting it in proper order in chronological order yeah. yeah it's i think i started using the birmingham and leeds um connections that i knew a band was playing in birmingham so I got the show through the contents of Birmingham. I got the show to lead. So Real Big Fish was the first one. So I, so the Birmingham show would be announced and on sale. Yeah, I and, think that was it. I think there you go. Let's yeah. see if we can get them up here as well. Yeah, so I did that. That's and, super punk rock. Yeah, that and I got the. Funny enough, my uh, my early claim to fame was I did the very first um, Real Big Fish show in Europe because they. They were coming over to play Boma on a tour, and I spoke to their agent Ian Armstrong um, and said, "Oh, they're sort of playing in Birmingham." And he said, "Can I said, can they come to Leeds?" And he said, "Oh, we can add a date at the start of the tour, and they can do Leeds first. So they, yeah, they got them, put them on at the cockpits in Leeds. Wow, first European uh, show. Yeah, what year was so, that? So like 2000, no, two, I know, the day 2001. It was in January 2001. And from that moment on, I seem to remember seeing them about three or four times yeah, in, in yeah. the next couple of years. Yeah. But that was the first time right there. That yeah. was like the Watergate moment. Yeah, and like, obviously. The watershed moment, should I say. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then around the same time. So I was doing gigs in Leeds and Bur- And then sometimes there was a band playing in. I knew a band was going to play. Um, Leeds, so then I managed to get a show in Birmingham. I'm uh, putting bands on at the the Foundry, um, and then because obviously this was all in this style of music, I'd joined Peak Nuts, and then which was you know uh, Scarpunk, which um, 
then so I was, I was mainly putting on ska punk bands uh so real big fish i did goldfinger back in birmingham at the foundry foundry I, that was one of my first ever gigs yeah. I, think I was 14 at that one right. and that was an 18 and over yeah. i remember me and my friend josh were like we'll get leather jackets because that's what adults wear so we had these leather jackets that we got from Oasis Market, fake ID, which we didn't even need. They yeah. didn't ID us. We were 14. Yeah. Maybe that's why it shut down. And uh, I remember that gig well. Amazing show. Yeah, and because obviously then I was using the connection to, you know, which is, yeah, it's, it's, it's how to think about it now. But actually getting, you know, booking these bands and booking my own band to support them. Um, so that's, you know, how you saw us because, you know, I put a gold finger on in Birmingham and I put my own band to support. Do you know what though? That right there for me, obviously, as you evolve and become more successful, you have to play by the rules a little bit more, um, because that winds people up the wrong way. But that right there for me is an example of, I think why we are, you know, as friendly as we are with each other beyond just the work connection is because I think we have that same attitude of like, here's the idea. Let's get out there and chase the dream. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, yeah, it gave me a great start. And like at the same, around that time as well, the um, the guy that did, you know, I was still on the technical side in the student union part-time on a course, doing my course. The guy, the events coordinator, who the, the in-house promoter of the student union, the full, you know, was a full-time proper member of staff. He, yeah. He he left. He got a job in London at a record company or something like that. He left, moved to London. I can remember as soon as I found out, I went into like the main boss, um, Simon Bell, um, gave me my uh, big chance because I literally walked in and said, "So uh, here, uh, Darren's moving to London. He's leaving, le- uh, leaving his job." I was like, uh, "If I drop out of university, can I have his job?" And he just went. Yeah, okay. And I literally, that, you know, that weekend, uh, I remember I went home, told my parents. Uh, How did they take that they, news? Were they much mad or better, they No, much better than expected because, you know, on track to do, like, I was going into engineering design and uh, to go back and so tell them to, you know, I'm oh, dropping yeah. out of university to go and work in music. and To book gigs at the university pub. Yeah, like. yeah. And... <laughs> They were very supportive. Can't thank them enough for that. And I mean, ultimately, I always say this, that, you know, I was given the opportunity and not many people were, you know, you, you're going, I was going to do a career and what I thought I wanted to do as a, as a career, as a job is, you know, what I trained to do, doing engineering, doing design. And I was given the opportunity to do my hobby as a full-time job. Yeah. Which you know um, is the dream. Is the is the dream, and you know, and you know, I you know, I did think about it hard, but I, I took the chance and I did it, and yeah, I'm, you know, I'm sure, I, yeah, no regrets. It's uh, yeah, it went. We're still taking chances fifteen years later, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the way it goes. So, f- Slam Dunk as a brand, as a business. Yep. How does that start? Is it a club night first? Is it a label first? Yeah. How does Slam Dunk become um, Slam Dunk? So it was, it was all around that time where, so I put Real Big Fish on. I didn't because I was working at the student union. It was a big thousand capacity venue and they were a bit too small at that point for this big venue. So I couldn't do it as part of my main job. So I went to the smaller venue in town, which was the cockpit, um, and said, you know, can we, you know, Basically, well, I'll put Real Big Fish on in that venue. 
um, which I did, and then um, soon after that, the the owner of the cockpit came to me and said, "You know, I want to do um, I want to do a club night, and you know, with this uh, this ska punk, this new music that all the kids are into. You know about that? Do you want to come and?" You know, do you want to come and help us set up this night? And I was still working at student union. I said, yeah, of course. And um, yeah, so I went to, so I was kind of working at the student union, but then moonlighting at the cockpit doing this, start off this scar punk night, which uh, was you, called. You're, you're seeing opportunity, you're seizing opportunity. Yeah. And, and you're really, although the the student union job seems like the dream, because you're getting to work in music, I guess yeah. already you're thinking, I'd rather be putting on bands that I like than... Yeah, I mean... You know I mean? Or, or am I, I reading too a, much that's that? You're giving me a bit too much credit there, I think. Yeah. I, like, I, didn't, I don't think I was... You know, I wasn't reading thinking, well, I've got to go and do this I've now. I was just I was offered, yeah, thing. a lot of it. <laughs> I, was, I was presented with opportunities and took it. So, yeah, he, he said, do you want to come and do this? Uh, I was uh, Colin, who who now is, is still my partner to this day. Is he really? Um, wow. Yeah, yeah, Colin Oliver. He, um, so he and a very good friend of mine, Richard Todd, he, uh, who's left now, but it was the two of them that, you know, owned the cockpit and, you know, um, and, you know running the one in all the shows and club nights there. They, um, so, yeah, they say, so come to the cockpit, do, do this, Scar Punk Night, which I did, and this is so, what 2002? two thousand and two. No, two thousand one. It was literally a few. It was a couple of months after that. Philby Fish show. Philby Fish was in the January. Um, this thing, Slam Dunk, started in March. Uh, I didn't come up with the name. A lot of people say, uh, so "How did you come up with the name?" I didn't. Uh, um, it was it was Colin and um, the other DJ Marcus. He they came up with the name there's different stories of how they come up with it which is funny but well it's just that quintessential kind of american high school yeah. it just tied in with that yeah that you know the genres of, of music that you know to this day the the brand still celebrates and champions yeah yeah and what's what's cool as well and we'll get into this in a lot more detail i'm sure is in the uk people might forget but in the uk at that time certainly from my experience there was bands like Farce and King Prawn yeah. and Cat Down yeah. and the scar scene in the UK and the, the kind of the DIY roots level underground music scene in the UK was really thriving. Yeah, wasn't it, yeah, that, that was yeah. Like you say, there was there was you know the the bigger bands that we were you know all listening to, you know, Billy Fish, Less Than Jake, Goldfinger, Mad Caddies. That you know there's this staple US bands, but. Um, there was also a UK ska scene there, um, which was great. Like you say, those bands and they were coming up at the same time. You know, they weren't as big, um, but they were certainly coming up. You know, Cap Down being nothing. You know, one of the the biggest UK ska punk bands at that time. You know, I was putting them on a lot. Um, they, you know, it's quite funny now you mention it. It's it, with the ska punk, when the American bands were coming through, there was that UK scene, which was good, which yeah. which wasn't the same with the pop punk scene, I feel. So the time yeah. that with when Blink, some point one, Green Day, when they were breaking, you know, there was a, you know, there was a big sort of DIY punk scene and everything, but there was, the pop punk was, 
a lot, you know, it, that was so American. It was, you know, years before we started to see UK pop punk started flourish. So the scar know? scene was, yeah, was really good for UK bands. And it was diverse and all the bands were, were you know, unique and, offer, and offered something special. And I think maybe why that was was because obviously scar has its roots in the UK yeah, yeah. with the original two-tone mm. movement. So maybe that's why, you know, a band like King Prawn, they're not referencing real big fish at all mm. with what they do their public enemy and the specials and but it, it was such an amazing time and so you're you're putting on these club nights and and are you playing just scar at the club nights or are you also playing pop punk emo metal it was it changed or is it not really strict yeah no it changed a bit so when it originally started so sometime when it originally started there was two rooms the main room was the main room was metal uh mainly with bits of with the pop punk that was breaking the time, you blinked some forty one, etc. Then the the it was the back room that was then strictly scar punk. Right. Fair enough. Um, obviously, the, I provided the DJ, so it was the leads. DJ was Marcus, the original. You know, he was the leads rock guy. Um, then, um, so the back room. Obviously, I found the DJ, and it was of course Ed from Pignut. Um, right. He was DJing already a ska punk back room at Edwards. Eddie's number eight. Yeah, R.I.P. Yeah, yeah. So he was already an established DJ doing this kind of music. So I got him. He drove up to. He didn't drink, so he literally drove up to Leeds and back every uh, wow uh, Tuesday night. Or it was actually Wednesday night when it originally started, but we moved it to Tuesday quite quickly. Um, yeah, so he was driving up and back, and then. And then, um, yeah, Marcus was doing the main room. And I can't remember how soon. I don't think it was only a couple of months in. We we changed the format. Ed actually finished DJing. Um, and then, basically, the funny thing was, I started DJing myself um, with my friend Liam, also from Birmingham, funnily enough. Love it. Was, uh, yeah, so... Um, Liam, so we, would I know him? No, no, no. He was in. He was in the early bands with me, Liam Bremner. He he was in the early bands, but he he wasn't. He wasn't in Pignut. Um. So he had come up to university the year before me. So he was already in Leeds. Now he, yeah, the two of us started DJing, and I think I can't remember if, if I think it was about the same time we switched the rooms because metal. There was a. You know, the metal was um, was also on the you know Saturday nights and um, and basically the pop punk was really growing as well and they, it was almost like because originally it was the metal and pop punk in one room and ska punk in the other room and I quickly worked out that obviously the pop punk and the ska punk fitted more together. They're bed partners, yeah, and yeah, and then. We and metalheads aren't going out during the weekend partying, whereas yeah, those scar well, kids, <laughs> yeah. And it was more, it was you know, you could go to it on a Saturday night and listen to that's it. lots of metal, yeah. Um, there wasn't the place for you know, really pop punk and, and scar punk, especially. So, um, we we switched it around and we did me and Liam started DJing the main room and we did that as you know, scar punk and pop punk. And, you know, Mark switched over and just did, you know, metal in the back room. And we, and it, something clicked. Um, and 
yeah, it was great. It was a, like a party every Tuesday night. You know, we started DJing. You know, we had fun on stage. I can remember I said I wanted the ethos to be more sort of because we DJ like we we DJed from on stage. So we kind of said like let's make it more like a live show. And you know, I can remember we were you know basically got drunk, play you know got drunk, DJed the two of us, and you know, I ran around the stage. I mean, later on, I think. Uh, basically later on we started building almost like stage sets with like visors <laughs> and the famous uh, trampoline literally we got a one of those little you know the you know mini trampolines the exercise ones. yeah the we little put, circular ones yeah, yeah we got one of those on stage and like in between the visors we used to run across the visors bounce on the trampoline and across the stage it was great and yeah liam did it for a bit and then of course kev who you know well from pignut he he no wonder came. he was moving up to yeah, Leeds. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so it just so happened that Liam, um, yeah, Liam left. I think he moved to Newcastle. So, and it just happened at the time that Kev was mo- was moving to Leeds. He wanted to get out of Birmingham. It felt so empty. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's a mass exodus. These bailing pigment are breaking yeah, up. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so he he came up to he came up to Leeds. I think yeah, I think Pignuts kind of fizzled out soon after after that uh, around the same time. But yeah, Kev came up to Leeds, and you know I lived with him as well. He came and moved up to Leeds. We lived together, and he came in my DJ partner in Sundunk, and it was great. Uh, you know, could you feel at that time? Because I I genuinely believe this. I feel that particularly with hindsight, but maybe even in the moment, could you feel something was brewing? Like not only yeah. just a nationwide scene, but specifically you, you, you were like, I'm onto something special here. Could you feel that in the club night? Yeah, I mean, well, ultimately it was it was about how many people were coming to it. This was a you know Tuesday night, we're not going to fight our Saturday night. Suddenly, you know, RP we were doing, you know, we were doing sort of 500, 600 people on a on Tuesday, Tuesday night. night on a spe- like not just a rock night, no, yeah, you know, niche Saturday, yeah, special you know, Saturday nights, yeah, Saturday nights. Every every uh, rock club in every town had a you know a rock night. We still do it tonight. It, it, this, uh, not, not, not right now. <laughs> we, we still do it every Pre- Saturday night um, in Leeds at the Key Club. It's just a standard rock night. Yeah, you know, all the everything. All but, the rock bases are covered. Yeah, but, but this, this was just a specific. Yeah, and it was, and it was as the scene was exploding. This was you know early two thousands. You know, ska punk. Um, and you know the bigger pop punk, classic pop punk that was coming through, and then of course around 2004, 2005, then the sort of the emo started kicking in. Um, that's when I tapped out, to be honest. <laughs> that's that's for me. That was my university years when I was like, but that's exactly around the time when this club night becomes. Well, does it become yeah. a festival first, or does it become well, a yeah, label it was, first? It was um, because what we I, around that time as well the. To the, by I think 2004, I then I left the I left the student union and went to work for the uh, the cockpit full time. Right, um, because I, <laughs> I said I was making that I was making too much money and taking t- taking too much money home with me, like from you know co promoting the club night. I think they realised it was cheaper to just. Pay me full time wage, yeah. So and obviously, I oh, give me time to do more stuff. Um, so 
you know, I went over there full time. And then when I did that, I started doing promoting shows with them at the cockpit. So, and it would be Slumdunk Presents. Yeah. So then I'd do, I was doing loads of gigs through the cockpit, loads of bands coming Who through. Who around that time were you booking perhaps some, on some of their first early um, UK shows? yeah, the, just trying to think. US bands, the ones that we mentioned, UK bands, yeah, your cap downs, like I said. Just trying to think around... Uh, early 2000s mainly those bands um i still wasn't doing bigger bands myself obviously colin who i work with you know he booked you know did like newfound glory and you know the, those bands coming through at that point um but then you know it all started to change around that you know that 2005 mark when you know these bands the new breed started coming through you know with fallout boy you know of course leading the Leading the charge at that point, um, I'll say I'm a better, one of my best friends to this day, Mark Newey, um, who's an agent, and he, we we sort of came up professionally together. I can remember at the time, you know, it was about that 2005 point. So he phoned me up and goes, Ben, I've taken on this new band called Fallout Boy. Can you like? Can you still work with them to this day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, you know. Um, yeah, check them out, see what I think, and I listened, and and so yeah, this is great, this is great, and obviously he took those around on, he took loads of other bands on around that time as well, um, and isn't it wild how at that time rock changed so quickly? You know, there'd be new genres coming through every six six to twelve months. Yeah. You know, like ska was a thing, emo is a thing, post hardcore is a thing. I don't feel like these waves happen as much anything like anymore. But then, certainly, I think that was the last time when it was like, there's a new scene, there's a new band, there's a new thing. Mm. It was yeah. rapid, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. And it was, that was the thing with the, we were doing the gigs and we could do all this stuff. But it was, with the club night, it was, it was getting harder as it went on. Because when, like you say, all the different, you know, we started off saying, right, well, we do pop punk and, and ska punk. And, and as all these st- certain sub-genres even of that side coming through your emo pop punks and emo like just we we were we were yeah we were we were putting them in the the club night was even naturally evolving with the scene so but then naturally we would start losing more would lose people that came for the original stuff like you said yourself you started i tapped out yeah when because when once saw the, the emo and pop punk and the soft pop punk started coming through the more pop stuff, then we would play less scar, for example. Yeah. So the people that were there just for the scar going, You're not playing enough scar anymore and It's so, over. Man. Yeah. And um, <laughs> Yeah, so the And that's what's really hard about club nights is it's so hard, especially now. Because um, I feel like we're in such a fractured age of taste now. Everybody just likes everything and loves nothing. But um, that's what's really hard about a club night is you're trying to keep a dance floor, but everybody likes different stuff. Yeah. And I think the beautiful thing, just to jump ahead really quickly with a festival, is you can cater to all those tastes with different stages. Yeah. So um, so you're, you're putting on shows. Yeah. They're going well, obviously. Yeah. You're, you're at the cockpit full time. Um, when do you, me at six, enter the equation? Um, well, bits a little bit after that of 2007. So the big thing. So you launched before, Slam Dunk before you start working with them. Yeah. So the Slam no, the Slam Dunk. Yeah. So Slam Dunk as a club brand started in 2001, and then club 
London Presents shows. And then in 2006, that's when the first festival was. In Leeds. Yes. With the aforementioned Fallout Boy headlining. Yes. Which is wild now when you think that they're a Reading headliner. Yep. Um, yep. Was that one of their first, if not their first UK, like, headline festival? Yes, yes. And, And it's, I mean, it's a funny story in the fact that, you know, people go, oh, so do you set out to, you know, you're just, you get the idea and think, oh, you, you must have set out and gone, right, I'm going to create a festival, we're going to do a Sandown Festival. It was completely by accident, in the, um, to be honest, because it was... It was like an all-dayer, was it, to begin yeah, with? Yeah, it was, and it was, it was a part of the Fallout Boy tour. So what happened was, again, um, so I was working with Fallout Boy, and I did, um, I think, they played, it was early, it was... It was the January I put them on in. It was just as from under the cork tree was breaking. So, you know, they were quickly, uh, you know, quickly rising. And um, I put them on in the January at at the time, which was the, the biggest venue in Leeds. Um, so, um, yeah, put them on at the refectory. And sold that out and then um there were a friend mark who their agent he he gave me a call just after that and goes and just to let you know they're coming back in may but sorry you're not going to get a show because obviously i i'm a what's called a local promoter or regional promoter i only promote in leeds in my in my city basically i don't promote the whole and that's true UK. to this day right? yeah yeah still only as a as a show promoter i still just promote leeds um so, um, so yeah, said so you like so. They're coming so how back, do you wangle but, it? Yeah, so <laughs> they're coming back. But sorry, mate, you're not going to get a show because you haven't got a venue big enough in Leeds. I'm like, oh no, this is bad. This is bad. I got to, uh, you know, why did you want it so bad? Just because I was, I felt, you know, I was part of the part of the journey. I was part of the ride, the Fallout Boy. You know, friends with. Uh, you know, I'd seen them coming up and growing and growing. It was my first sort of big act that I was really working with and, and going through. I get that. So you and, had a sense of connection know, to Yeah, and I want, you know, really wanted to do a Fireboy show in May. I was kind of thinking, what can we do? And just so happened that uh, some partner, Colin, he had, he had just got this outdoor venue in Leeds called Millennium Square, which was, you know, a council-owned city square. And he had just done... It just, I think he'd he'd done a show the year before, so he put Kaiser Chiefs on in in this Millennium Square. So it was a large outdoor square. It was seven thousand capacity. So and because it was you know end of May, I thought, well, it's summer. It's mm-hmm. it's the summer, like because you could only do shows outdoor. Obviously, in the summer, you only like use it. Then so I thought, right, well, could we could we do it? And so so I rang up Mark and said, look. I know we haven't got a large, you know, we haven't, we didn't have an arena in Leeds at the time. We hadn't got any kind of five thousand, you know, because they were doing Brixton Academy, they were doing like Manchester Apollo, so they were doing that, you know, three to five thousand range. I said, look, we've got this, we've got an outdoor venue, it's seven thousand capacity, and he said, well, you know, that's a bit too big, you know, they're only, you know, you know, Brixton's the beast one, that's five thousand, London, and was that selling? yeah yeah near, well no i don't well it was it it wasn't on sale i don't think right. at that point but, but they, it were was, confident they were confident they were confident yeah. it was going to do so um so traditionally i'm sure you know the london show is usually the biggest london you sell 
when bands play their their London shows, the the biggest the, the London show will always be a you know slightly bigger than the rest of the country. So if they do, you know, if they do a two thousand capacity venue in London, they tend to do a thousand capacity as the rest of the country, or they do three thousand in London and they do you know uh, two thousand like academy size venues the rest of the country. So this was look, you know, you, you can't we can't do seven thousand in Leeds like. But I said, look, well, hear me out. This don't is, tell Ben uh, Ray, can't. <laughs> can't, I don't want to hear, can't. Yeah, so, so I said, look, right, if you give me a Saturday, right, and we, and you let me not only put Fallout Boy and their support bands, but let me extend the bill a bit. Like, you know, we'll start it earlier in the day and we'll put a few more bands on and I'll call it a festival. <laughs> Amazing. And it's like, wow, so what are you going to call this festival? And I said, well, we've got a brand here. We've got a brand that's known for the club night. We're doing shows. We'll call it Slumdunk Festival. And, you know, obviously a few more conversations happen. And, you know, it, it happens. He, you know, thankfully he convinced the band and the management to do it. Um, you know, so I still owe him a lot to this day for that. Um, and yeah, so we we did it, and we we put it on sale. We we booked a few more bands. So who was go. on the bill? Who was on the tour? With so the boy? bill was it was Capdown were on it, but I can't imagine no, they, they were. On they tour. weren't on the tour. So the, the so tour like, Let's get was some yeah, in. And the tour was Fallout Boy, the Academy is remain support, and the Hush Sounds were opening. Uh, I think there were like a new band on Fuel Boy Bar, and so you know right. they tend to that when they were taking out bands on the same label, etc. So I thought well, I had a few more bands and, you know, I wanted to make it a bit more diverse on the, you know, the genres of music that Sandon was known for. So of course I had to get at Scar Band. So, you know, Cap Down is the, the biggest UK Scar Band. They were straight on the bill. Um, we added 100 Reasons uh, and Thursday to give it a bit more uh, emo credibility. Yeah, emo yeah. post hardcore sort of thing. And then thank like Hello Goodbye, which was another uh, you know US sort of emo pop band. Um, happened just happened to be coming into the UK at the same time, so we got them on the bill. And yeah, so and assumedly this is by far and away the biggest thing you've put on in your oh, life. Oh yeah, at this yeah, point. yeah, by far. So are you stressing out or are you confident or how are you feeling about it going into um, it and then on the day? I can't remember being I mean, I can remember nerves on the day and around the events, but I think you remember putting it on sale, I think, you know. You know, we put it on sale and it, you know, it flew out, it did really well. It was, you know, we yeah, it was something struck a chord with the fans and you know, at that point, it was just people from Leeds. I know a few people travelled. A few people have said to me to this day, "Oh, you know, I'm from Birmingham, but I still went to the Leeds. Like, still went to the first Sundown ever. We all came to Leeds, etc." You know what's cool about Leeds, and I'm sure that everybody who lives here will, you know, attest to this and agree with it. Is it's a real alternative rock and roll city, isn't yes. it? There's a healthy scene here, and God bless Birmingham. At the time when you know you were playing in Pignet, and I was starting to go to shows Birmingham had a great scene then but it's mm. been a long time since it's had a scene like that and Leeds I feel whenever I've been here over the last 10 years it's just it feels like an alternative city yeah yeah it is and yeah it was I mean it's always been you know 
it's well known for different styles of music, like the indie scene in Leeds, of course, you know, Massey, like Kaiser Chiefs, you know, around that time, of course, this was the time. Like, this was Kaiser the time Chiefs. indie landfill is yeah, now called, yeah. Yeah, um, Kaiser Absolutely Chiefs, Park, Cribs, Ferdinand, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff, yeah. Like, a lot of local bands, big local scene, so Leeds was a musical city. And of course, it is, you know, it is a nice city. It's known for, you know, nighttime culture and ultimately putting it on a Saturday as well. You know, people came to Leeds for a weekend, which still happens to this day. The fact is... Well, it's a big, like, stag and hen city as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly <laughs> that. And, like, people still, you know, to this day with the festival, it's like a lot of people won't go to their, you know, closest event because they like they like coming the to out. Leeds. Yeah. Um, I've noticed and... that at Slam Dunk especially, actually. And it, it's, is, is it usually the first of the... It varies. It, it, vary. it is at the moment. I mean, we are looking at, we might eventually, one of the things we're considering, uh, and it depends what else is on and what else, but, you know, it could easily switch back to Hatfield being the first and Leeds being the second. Um, Leeds kind of works better logistically for us because, of course, we're based in Leeds. Yeah. Uh, the company is based in Leeds, so we can, yeah, so rather you know, where we set, yeah, yeah, we kind of, you know, we, especially this year, like with the lead site being new, we kind of, you know, we got to work from her, you know, we could go up to the site and set it up and then it's the first where we start. Um, this so, is an amazing detail as well. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but obviously on the days of the festival, you've got, you know, hundreds of people working for you. But round the year, Slam Dunk as a company is three people, right? It's yourself, Jasmine, it's, and JD. No, it's it's a bit more than that. It's because we are, you know, we are part of uh, called the Future Sound Group. So it's still um, there's almost Slam Dunk's only one side of the business. It's um, so when so yeah, the Future Sound is the sort of the promoter company that used to own the cockpit, and you know, so I was working for Future Sound, and you know, initially I was doing a lot of you know, I was actually promoting a lot of indie bands as well and doing other stuff on top of the Slam Dunk stuff. Um, but eventually, because the Slam Dunk side of the business started taking off it so became much, became the monster yeah, that it is. I kind yeah. of, I you know, started just doing Slam Dunk, and and eventually the company's kind of, you know, the company kind of split, split off. So Slam Dunk's its own company now, um, part owned by Futurestand. Um, but so yeah, Sundown's a kind of separate company that you know just specialising this music. Future Sound, like I say, Future Sound's the the rock arm, and Future so Sundown's the rock arm, and Future Sound is the indie arm, and Got all it. the other different types of music, obviously, um, that they do. So it works like that. So for the so yes, for Sundown only, they only specialise in just in Sundown and only work on Sundown. Yes, it's a very small operation. It's me. Um, JD, who's been with me many years now, I think he started 2010, so he's been. How so did you two time. meet? Um, funny, story, I mean, again, it's all through this, this, uh, the club night and DJ. And so Kev, I don't, I don't know why these DJs kept on leaving me. I don't know why. <laughs> but Kev, it came time where Kev, it finally came time. Kev uh, decided to uh, up and leave from uh, uh, from Leeds and move down to London, and. 
The bright lights of London yeah, were calling. Yeah, so when he when he did that, it was funny. I remember him coming to me and going, "So, man, as you know, I'm I'm moving to London, um, and I've been thinking. And good news, I found someone to replace me, DJ. And I was like, oh, is that like this? I Do like I get someone? Yeah. <laughs> I don't like someone. Just uh, someone bringing someone in that I didn't know because obviously it's not just about the music thing. It was about the you know the personal side, you know. Um, that, well, you want yeah. to hang out and yeah, enjoy that company. friends, you know, you know, having that chemistry on stage and working and working together fine. Um, and he goes, right, so you know, I've got this kid, like this kid, he's really good. He, I think he was DJ and some other other little stuff, and he was just, he was just one of the regulars, at, you know, um, at the at the night, and they became friends with Kev. And he goes, yeah, so this guy JD, um, and then yeah, I kind of. Yeah, met him properly, and you know we gave him a go, and it was great. You know, amazing DJ, and you know we got on well, and it fitted, and he was just perfect for it. So Kev left, so JD started DJing, and you know, and he got to that point where after a few years just DJing, it was like you know, right, yeah, come and work full time. So you know, that's why he's been there for so long. Um, he's your right hand man, isn't he? Yeah, exactly that. So. Um, yeah, he's great. Couldn't have done it all without him. Um, yeah, he, yeah, he does, he does everything with me. He's now, you know, he, he's the main sort of the promoter he does. He runs the, you know, all the shows in Leeds, uh, all year round. He looked after us on the Dirty Sanchez show we did and yeah, we had a good yeah, night out after that. Yeah, so. What I love about you guys as well is when you do the slam dunk festivals, you travel between the sites, like all the, the slam dunk crew on a tour bus and I love that because it's just another thing that you guys do that's very family friendly well not family friendly but very family orientated and just about the the friendship and the community and having fun like you work your ass off but you want to have fun and kick it it with each other when the job's done yeah it kind of started because you know I always say the key to Slumdog success is the the slow build of it you know you know the first one in 2006 you know it was you know that was success. It sold out. Um, you know, seven thousand people, but it was one stage and kind of it did it was, sell out, did it? Bob. Yeah, yeah, it sold out. And then obviously taking it to the you know the next year. I mean, it was only going to be a one-off, but then it was like, oh, we've got something now. We want to do it you, again. When did you decide we've got to do one again? When was that moment? Well, it's pretty soon after, was it? Anyway, <laughs> on the day. You're yeah, like, but good. but I always said, look, you know, it was a bit of a fluke. No, we weren't going to get a chance to get in a headliner as big as Fallout Boy and you. Was, was gonna happen so we looked at um you know so i thought right you need to do a smaller venue so of course went to leeds refectory so in 2007 we did a one stage in you in the refectory which was real big fish headlining mate that year right i've got the lineup here in front of me that year is just all of my friends and homies like i wish beat union aids bands i'm gonna see a tomorrow he's turning 40 tomorrow Sonic Boom 6, my dear friends, Real Big Fish, as you said, Mad Caddies. And then, are they a little-known band? Are they an upcoming band? Paramore, what's the yeah. deal with them in 2007? So they, they? they were just breaking, and they right. um, they they played second from top. So they actually played underneath the Real Big Fish because they were kind of breaking, and they were started selling tickets, but they hadn't. They know, weren't They Paramore, weren't, yeah, yeah, they weren't. They weren't ahead. You know, they weren't. They were probably, I think when they played, I think, you know, they were getting probably worth about the same amount of tickets as 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 
well be fish but they you know they were the you know, special guests underneath power underneath well be fish and they you know just breaking just again it's, yeah. the, it's the right band at the right time yeah. isn't it talk about you know the one two of fall that boy and then them at that that time mm, yeah so incredible yeah, yeah and then so, you've also got opening the stage right is this right yeah, the first band on the bill yeah first band on the bill now do they get on the bill because you're working with them at this point or do you yes. start working with them well after? both at the same time i think funnily enough i a few months before that i kind of so the so the company as a whole was had started managing bands. So Colin and Pano had started managing the the Pigeon Detectives, obviously yeah, an indie, indie band. Yeah, yeah. Um, ah, found out she's going. Yeah, out yeah. so him. he was doing that. So of course, you know, anything he did on the indie side, I was going, oh, I want to, you know. So I kind of like I was, like, oh, I fancy managing a band, and um, and I can remember it was at the time it was like. You know, so to say the the lead scene wasn't what there wasn't like there was you know there's loads of bands but there wasn't you know I hadn't connected with any kind of local leads bands like oh they're amazing I want to manage that. And you've been at it five years or so. Yeah, at this point, yeah, right? yeah. There's you know like I said there's some good leads bands but you know I wanted to find you know I wanted to be sure I wanted to find better. So I funny enough I looked. <laughs> It was at the time where it was, you know, MySpace was massive. And MySpace had this amazing feature, which I wish was still around today. Is or a Facebook top, Which is top artists. Yeah. So it let you go on and, and put these filters on and would give you the top artists. So I just put on the filter, pop punk, emo, or whatever I did at the time, and put UK. So it literally gave you the top 10 bands of the genre but not only that you could then click on unsigned so you could quickly see and of course went on there number one or number two i think at the time bank called union six and so and i started well i listen i can remember listening to the the top few bands i can't remember the others are. um so yeah listen so and and yeah, you and me at sea. I just kept on listening to the track over and over again. I'm going, this is amazing. This is amazing. And I think at the same time, it's just so coincidental that I had a had a, a show at the cockpit that sold out that didn't have a support. I think I think it was Sayasin or, or something like that. They didn't have a tour support. And they said, just put someone on. Now, usually, if... If a band said put on a local support, it's a touring band says a local support, it's because they want a, band, a local band that's going to bring a bit of a local crowd. Because ticket sales aren't so good. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> you see that a lot. And it's fair play, like the small, when first smaller touring bands, of course, you know, they're on their first tour, you know, American bands, whatever, they come around, of course, they're going to ask for, you know, for, you know, for local bands to bring. Do you and think this, that's still the case? Do you think local support still bring in local sales in that same way? Not as many as they did, which is uh, so back in the day, you know, you used to. It was almost like a guarantee, wasn't it? Yeah, like you used to give a band, like a local band, like, oh, here's a book of 50 tickets. Go go and sell them. them. And they used to go around and sell them. And they would, they'd be like, you got any more? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's it's, sadly, it's not the case anymore. And I'm not sure why that is. You know, these bands got better. I don't know what the case is now, but, you know, they're still bringing people but not to these i don't know whether there's more bands or i don't know, I, just don't, I don't think there's scenes anymore mm. i don't i think there's bands yeah and there's, there's people that are 
playing music and there's people that are going to the shows but i just don't really feel like there's those same regional scenes yeah yeah i think you're right. for whatever reason and also like the genre like nowadays i think i think genres are more widespread where back back in those days it was you know very small pop punk scene yeah metal scene and there was and every if you were into that music you only listen to that music yeah it's kind of segregated band. and yeah, clicky very, wasn't it yeah so now this people have got so much choice and you know, sadly, people aren't going out to shows as much to check out music because, of course, they can look on the internet. And yeah. if they before, if you wanted to find out and find some new bands, you had to go to these small shows yeah. and check out some local bands. But why? I don't know whether people feel now they don't need to go and check out local bands because they can check out a world of bands at one click of their... Yeah. I was going to say mouse. Got to be a bass that now, isn't it? Well, I'm gonna add and touch on there. Yeah. yeah, one touch <laughs> on their screen. Um, but yeah, so um, so you were pretty enamoured with them from from yeah, the get-go, yeah. Really. So yeah, um, so I so yeah, so I had this opportunity to to put a band on, and it didn't matter if they sold any tickets. So you know, maybe I was doing a bit of a dirty to the local uh, scene of Leeds on that one, rather than picking a local band. Yeah, where are band. they from? Like Buckingham? Or <laughs> no, no, they're from. Uh, I'm sorry, White right. Vision, sorry, so. But I, I, I'd got in touch with them, so yeah, I like your music, I got talking to them, and, and I said, do you, what, do you want to come up to Leeds to play a show? And they went, yeah, of course, they came up to Leeds. I, and yeah, they were, I mean, they weren't very good, and I'm sure they'll, <laughs> uh, they'll fully admit to that. Um, they, yeah, but there was something there, you could tell. You could I tell mean, look, it's, you know, you you could just tell with that band just on was it know, josh's handsome looks uh part probably part of it uh, you know how they looked how they acted how they you know got on with other bands and just how they're just you know they were young kids but they were somehow professional and well i'll say to that in a very loose sense so, um they were they you were know, hungry yeah you they wanted it you could tell they had the skill, like, you know, they weren't great live, but you could tell that was something that they, it was early days that I would get better at. And you could just tell straight off. And of course, so I did that. So we did that. And, you know, I came up to Colin saying, right, I found a band to manage. I'm going to manage this band. And I did. I started managing them. And then just happens, obviously, Sam Dunk came around and I said, right, you're going to open up Sam Dunk Festival. They came and did that. From that, they got to know Paramore. They got on some Paramore shows, right. and then and that's a perfect yeah. And they band, and they start and we you know we started building a band from that. They started getting on to supports, off supports, and you know. And then they fired you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't as quick and as brutal as that. But uh, yes, we. I mean, we there was. We did from that. I mean, we 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 the live side was coming on well because I I. You know, I was a live promoter. I just specialised in the live side, getting them on tours, and the live side was going okay. Then it came to the recording side, and you know, we did talk to a few um, independent labels, etc., and we talked about it. But then, of course, we had, like again, there's a copy in the indie side of it. Um, Colin had the label uh, Dance to the Radio um, in Leeds, which are like independent. Um, uh, indie, la- indie labels they call it the, which they had put they managed the initiatives and they also put the stuff out right. on this label isn't that counterproductive to be on the same label as your management Can't, well for the, from the, the band's point for, of view I don't know it's 
I mean, it was never it was never a long term thing. It was almost he was very much let's out. put. You know, we need to get. You know, they had seen enough songs to record an album. You know, there was no one was throwing money at the band. It was you know someone some you know someone did sort of kind of put it off on the table, but it was very it wasn't great. So it's like, look, we can we've got the infrastructure here to do it ourselves. Like we've done it with Pigeon Detectives. Funnily enough, we've got a brand. Yeah. So it was a slam dunk records effectively was was dance the radio but just rebranded as slam dunk records. So of course we said right let's put that, put the album out um, let's put the album out ourselves. I'll call it slam dunk records and yeah it happens. We put the album out. We put out take off your colors. Um, did great um, and yeah there you know and it was going okay. That's. Um, then yeah, soon after that, I mean, you know, it was it was hard doing both management and label. Um, we were struggling, and of course, the band were very hungry and ambitious. And and you're promoting as well, yeah, yeah. Because you've obviously got to keep, you know, your income coming in. Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't doing it full time, of course. We weren't, you know. So fair enough. They, you know, they they looked at a much bigger management company who, you know which had, you know, large artists on who they wanted to be. So, you know, quite rightly, you know, um, you know they got tempted away and that they moved. Have they played uh, Slam Dunk since? Yes, they have. yes. So there's, um, no, there's no ill feelings there? No, no. no. I think we've had, <laughs> you know, fair enough. And, you know, after that happened, admittedly, you know. Well, nothing it ends was, well, does it? Yeah, I mean, it was, lying. you know, it did get me down. It was, you know, it was a massive blow to me personally. Um, as we remember being very down afterwards, like, you know, what, what have I done and all this and you know, I didn't understand and, you know, and felt, you know, you know, how am I going to recover from this? Uh, so, you know, it, and funny enough, uh, they stayed on Slam Dunk Records for a while for a couple of singles, but then they moved. We actually sold, they moved to Virgin Records and we actually kind of, we, we sold the first album to, to Virgin. Right as well, um, so they moved totally office, including the first release. Um, so that must have been a nice little payday for you. No, no? it wasn't really because the al- the album was already out. It right. was you know it was it was minimal. Um, yes, I won't deny that I did receive something for it. Um, so, um, so what year did they leave? That was, that was back mm. in the two thousand and eight. Right, because uh, they play at Sundown Festival 2008 had happened, but just after that they played again. Um, you know, they're much higher up the bill that time, and that was also the year that we went multi-stage. I love um, it. Every year, there's always. I mean, I've looked through the history of the festival, right? And every year, yeah, there's something new. Yeah. There's an extra festival. Yeah. There's an extra city. There's shows before the festival, yeah, yeah. and was, I love that about you. Can I just ask you quickly, Ben? What do you think it is? Because we all want to make money, right? So I've got no doubt that there's a cash incentive there to some extent, but I know you're not in it for that. So what do you think it is that drives you? Because you're this very driven, ambitious person. Have you always been that way? Or do you just like doing cool shit? I don't what know. Do you think I'm, very, it is? I'm very focused on, on the festival. That is the thing. I'm perhaps too focused. I mean, and that, I suppose, links with the Yumiya 6 thing. And I would say, if I can't, I can't, I we don't now that I can't thank them enough for, for firing me for managing them because if they if they hadn't done that, Slam Dunk Festival wouldn't be either around as it is or certainly wouldn't be anywhere near what it was because I, you know, after that I focused on the festival and to this day my main focus 
year round is that festival. Yeah. And I, I try that. to, you know, and if I'd managed them, I wouldn't have been able to do that because, yeah. Um, Cheers so now, to you, me Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so was a for, little bit of it like you felt a sense of failure in that role with them, so you wanted to plug that, you know, energy and drive into the festival yeah, to make a success yeah. of that. Of course, of course, that yeah, I did. You know, after a bit of time being down, it did give me extra drive to make sure that was a success. You know, we'd already, you know, that that year two thousand eight was an important year. We kept it at the university, but then I. That was the multi-stage format as it kind of has evolved into was the first year of that because it just happened that Leeds University as a venue just lent itself to that. It's university union is a as it's a student union complex almost with no a number of different venues in it's the like building. A maze. Yeah, so <laughs> so I can remember I started booking in two thousand eight and I had, and immediately I had too many bands. I was like. Why don't I add a second stage? Then I, well, I think the first, that was your four stages, that first one, because I didn't know when to stop, but it went So great. you went from one to four, yeah, one in 2006, went, yeah, one in yeah, 2007, yeah, four 2008. Yeah, Amazing. Yeah. And that's Zebrahead's first appearance. Yeah, yeah. The Slam Dunk House uh, Band. Yeah, I can remember them playing that. Um, but yeah, it was a multi-stage format, which, and then after that, it was, you know, then there was no stopping me. Each year I'd add another stage. I think we got up to eight very quickly. Um and then just trying to grow it at the university. We put, over the next few years put venues, stages outside, taking outside, fencing outside, and then of course, is it 2010? You go double side. Yeah, that was so uh, eight and nine. It was grown at Leeds University. Then 2010, I kind of thought, I need to, you know, this is just in Leeds. We've got this thing. It's just in Leeds. We need to make it more accessible for everybody around the country so of course we need to do a southern one you know of course you know and we've this, seen it's all organic and you're not reaching too far ahead are you and shooting for the stars and you know risking failing or falling short of the bar it's just like it's a natural slow steady organic growth the demand's continuing to grow yeah. that must be quite an exciting wave to ride yeah 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 it was good yes it was good it was great the like say everything everything was the scene was growing um, and just, yeah, it was a wave that we rode. And, and continue yeah, to. Yeah, continue to. And, and then you go to three. When do you, What year do you go to three sides? So 2013, so 10, 11, and 12, we just did the two sites. And I think 13, we went up to three. Um, <clears throat> um, so, yeah, so we did south, obviously, for that. So, of course uh somewhere in between let's say slam dunk midlands and of course that was a you know personal one for me personally because i'm from midlands from birmingham Bring so i thought i home. wanted to take it home yeah man Actually, i need to go to the toilet what do we do do we do stop the we'll, tape we'll keep rolling mate keep just rolling, keep rolling. <laughs> yeah we're back. just don't unplug it <laughs> <laughs> would you grab a couple more rowners out the fridge as well yeah yeah yeah, I'll just let the audience know. So I met Ben around this. So I, I kind of reconnected with him around this time. I was working on Kerrang Radio um, and he came into the studios. I think it was 2011. He came in for a meeting to partner up. So Kerrang Magazine and Radio, we're going to become like official partners. Maybe he can correct me if I'm wrong on this. But um, we sat down in the studios. We had a chat and I don't think... Although I'd spent time with Johnny and Kev from Pignet, I don't think I'd properly spent like one-on-one time with Ben. But there was that connection there and that link there. 
and I knew him from Pignut, and so we had just uh, you know a, a rapport and a shared history and a shared interest in the same sort of music from that. And you know, I think Kerrang did two or three years maybe working with the festival. Then I left Kerrang, and then at the time I was doing uh, the lockup stage at Reading Festival, so I was hosting a lockup stage, which is a very similar kind of a vibe to slam dunk, punk, pop punk. And I remember I'd always have chats with Ben. He'd be like, so who are you booking? Who are you booking? And I'd, I'd say, you know, obviously I can't tell you. Um, and then I think it was, I think, Ben, maybe you can correct me when he comes back in. 2015 was the year I started. Was 2015 the year I started hosting the stage? <laughs> you locked out your own kitchen. <laughs> it was 2015 the year I started hosting your like punk and ska stage. Let's have a look at the bills here. No, 2000, yeah, 2015. Real Big Fish, Goldfinger, Big D in the Kids Table, Zebrahead, Lightyear, Mariachi El Bronx. So that was the year I came on board. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was... Was that the first year when we, we did it in the city centre? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So. And then NEC was 2016. Yes. yes. In so, Birmingham. Well, Ben's just refilling the beers. And it, I mean, every year there was something new. Yeah. There was like a new, I don't know, ambition, yeah. it seemed like. Yeah. He's even cutting limes, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this has become like a cook show now. So I'm looking at a poster on your wall as well, and I'll never forget this. 2017, well, in fact, no, 2016 was when you started doing the um, the old school band. So you put on the beat yes. as a one-off, and I remember you telling me, and I was like, that's a fucking great idea. Well, that was No, that was, that was 18, wasn't it? That was the year after. No, yeah. 16 was just the beat when it was on their own. Because I remember introducing them and Rankin Roger was like, man, thank, oh, thank. Yeah, that was at the festival. They were, they were on the Desperado yeah. stage, yeah. And you were like, bit of a wild card this year, but I put the beat on. Mm. And I was like, no, it's going to work. And yeah. it, sure enough, it did. And then the next year, you got on the specials and toots yeah. the, the day, day before, before because you figured you've got sites in every city. Yeah. The stages are there. Yeah. yeah Let's was throw something thing, yeah. for the older generations before the kids come in and have yeah. their fun. Yeah, exactly. That. I'd... I'd I promote. I previously promoted the specials. Uh, I think did I actually? I put the specials on at. I actually did the same thing. I did, but it was just the specials on on the site. I think in two thousand nine or something when the year when it was still at um, when the festival was still up at the uni, and I put the specials on down in Millennium Square. Right. Um, I did that. That was on their, yeah, because it was on their on their comeback tour, basically, mm-hmm. on their anniversary tour. So, you know, as a promoter, that was massive for me. Like, you know. Well, that's the source. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, the two, those two acts there, Toots and the Specials, yeah. that is the source of Scar, yeah, from I, which it all comes. Yeah. I got, you know, it was a massive thing for me because I got to promote the Specials, such a big band for, for us all, you know, on their comeback tour. So I'd done, I'd worked with them before. And that year, I can remember it was <clears throat> we had the site, so I thought, well, let's try and get you know a band um, on the three sites the day before, kind of, um, and also you know again it was trying to make a kind of package 
out of it. Um, you know, not just the specials. I'd go have as you know, I need a big special guest, and I'd I'd work with Toots before. You know, doing small shows in Leeds. R.I.P. So, Toots. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, very sad um, recently with him dying because um, I worked with him for quite uh, quite a few years. Such a nice bloke, and uh, you know, I was hoping to work again with him in the future. So, but you know, I'm very. Because of that, well, and Roger yeah. as well from the Beats, obviously. Yeah. I mean, that's it's it's horrible and it's really sad, but it makes you appreciate what you do. I think mm. even more when you start to lose people like that, and you and you think yeah. like, wow, I got to promote that band. That's you know, that's an iconic yeah, band, yeah. and I got to get but to also, know this person. But also, well. as fans of the music, like um, it's you know not being able to see that band again of course we've all you know we all experienced it like you know everyone thinks oh we would have loved to have seen Nirvana or the Beatles or you know, Doors or like you know all these are classic artists that we all would have loved to have seen but you know when it's someone that you may have you would have you've actually seen and you kind of taken it for granted that you can see this artist and then suddenly you know, suddenly you can't see them anymore. So, so my favourite band in the world has always been the Beastie Boys. Really? So very, uh, yeah, yeah not not you know, I not never got in, to not, see them. not in the scene as I, that I I specialise in that I'd like most artists in. But you know, ran like so. You know, I got into the Beastie Boys. You know, in the you know when I was younger, like around nineteen ninety or something. And you know, they've been my favourite band ever since. You know, you know. Thing. And luckily I got to see them albeit very late um, which tour did you see them on Hello Nasty no no I don't like not that tour which I yeah, regret so much I, I, just, I didn't go and see them. I saw them on the net on the Five the Boroughs five tour yeah. and I also saw them at South by Southwest in Texas um, so yeah I got to see them twice um, but you know when MCA died it was you know, it was massive. I mean, like, just, you know, because they were my favourite shows I've ever seen, my favourite band and everything. And, you know, I was going to see them every time, you know, after that, I was going to go and see them. And then, yeah, and then, yeah, he died. And just that realisation that, you know, because especially because it's such a, um, you know, with Beastie Boys been three of them, you know, you can't, oh, you can't. You can't replace. No uh, and they like, wouldn't so. even attempt it, would yeah, they? Yeah, so with them, it was, you know, and... You know, just the realization you're never going to see that band again, and you know, and the same thing happened there. We, you know, we toots, obviously, you know that, and and then you know, and we've all seen it. You know, members of bands dying, and you know, I'm, you know, my friends that were, you know, massive Bowie fans. You know, when he died, Prince. You know, it's yeah, Prince. I mean, there's a lot of artists that motorhead yeah. being a big one yeah. i mean we're sadly in that time now because it's a generational thing isn't mm-hmm. it and we, we you know we don't want to sidetrack too much onto that but it's certainly notable now that you know covid aside if you can get out there and see a band that you love if they're out there doing it yeah do it whilst yeah. you can yeah definitely. do it whilst you can and, and that goes for for young bands as well if you love an upcoming band don't miss out on one of their tours because you're busy or whatever that yeah. night because that band might not yeah. be a band on the next I think cycle. I think you know you know 
touching on the uh, the old corona subject it's uh and Brexit, let's yeah, throw that yeah. in the mix as well. Yeah, but I think, by, I mean, as an industry, you know, we're crippled at the moment and uh, and really down on our knees. But, like, I think that we we do have the belief that when live shows come back, that shows will, we will cease, you know, a new, a new life to shows. Because I think people, like you say, people will realise that, that, you know, especially in the short term when it comes back, everybody's going to be going out to shows as many as they can. You know, 2022 you is going to be a great year, year for live show, music, show, isn't show it? Is going to go. <laughs> but we're hoping that that will stay. That will stay. Yeah, like people, like you know, keep your phones. Yeah, in your you pocket d- yeah, you and... don't realize. You know, they say you know you don't realize that you got until it's gone. You know, I Jamie think Mitchell never lies. <laughs> um. And we've yeah. all realised that now this year, haven't we? We've yeah. all realised this year what we had and we took for granted. Okay. And now it's gone and we want it back and it will be back soon. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 2017 for me is a key year for the evolution of Slamdunk. Yeah. You introduce Toots and the specials each day yeah. before, but also <laughs> that fireball stage that year, man, that poster for me is yeah, still one of I my favorite and greatest things. That, there it is, is up that, there. Is Bowling for picture, Soup, yeah. Less Than Jake, Real Big Fish, Goldfinger, Mad Caddy, Zebrahead, Ataris, Phoenix TX, MC Lars, Matt Stocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, to put that on, I remember having a conversation with you that year and being like, dude, how are you going to follow this? Yeah, yeah. Because it was so perfect and so big. Yeah. And as a DJ, right, go with me on this analogy. As a DJ, I always say, all you can do is that the song that you're about to play yeah. needs to be better than the one you're playing now. Mm. Now, better can sometimes just be an interesting choice and therefore different. Sometimes you can't actually improve. You have to just sidestep. But it's always, what can I do that's going to excite in my case, the listener, in your case, the audience. And that's what I love about what you do is every year, you know, you never rest on your laurels, uh, laurels, sorry. You never take your foot off the gas. It's always, this is the next step in the ongoing evolution of this thing because I need to improve upon and and, and take this further every year. You're never just content with where you're at. 
Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, like, so, I mean, the evolution, as you said before, it's you know, I always strive to to grow every year. So in the early days, it was adding another stage, adding, making the capacities bigger, um, then increasing uh, the number of sites. You know, going to South, going to Midlands, and then. You know, and then at each at each of those three places, once we got up to the limit of the what the the venue could take, you know, move, move it. So obviously we were at Wol- in Wolverhampton. Yeah. Um. You know, we moved from Wolverhampton to any like Midlands from Wolverhampton to Birmingham to get go to the bigger venue in Hatfield. We've moved from the university to the Hatfield Park to go outdoors in Leeds. We've moved twice. We moved from the university to the city centre. And now to a now to Temple Newsome, an outdoor park. So we keep on, you know, keep on stretching, making it bigger, always changing it. You know, which people, you know, people that work in it, they don't. Oh Ben, why are you doing this again? Why can't you just settle? This well, seems like a good place to ask this question. If this is okay, what happened to Birmingham? Oh, no, well, of course. Let's get that, into it. That was always going to happen, wasn't it? That, that question. Um, <laughs> Yes, uh, it, I, only I mean, because Jake, it comes up every year, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I, on the social media I, I, posts, yeah, you I see know. it, and and obviously, you know, as somebody who comes from Birmingham and the pride <laughs> which you say, which you felt yeah. with bringing the festival to that city, it's not something you're going to discard lightheartedly yes. without yes. second course, and third thinking the thing over. Yeah. So I how mean, come you had to let it go? Yeah, it's quite funny. I made the joke that uh, I'm no longer welcome home in my home <laughs> set. I uh, have to uh, go in disguise then every time I go out in Birmingham. No. Traitor! Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so obviously people are, you know, took it very badly. Um, you know, I think uh, we at Slam Dunk has got something against Birmingham, which many people don't know. I'm from Birmingham. Which may shock them. Um, I mean, ultimately, you know, I think a lot of people kind of get it in the fact that it was when we made the site the sites bigger. So we've, you know, this because we were a specialist type of music. There's only a, a certain amount of people in the UK as a whole that are into this music or into this music and willing to go to a festival or want to go to a festival. So ultimately, you know. It's you know we there was there was three smaller venues and now obviously we've condensed it into two, um, you know the <clears throat> the the costs of putting simply putting three on were too much because um, you're booking bigger bands as well. Yeah, the the artist spend's obviously gone up and everything's you know everything's gone up you know, all the production spend and you know what it takes to put on the shows and ultimately. Um, no, we. It was when we moved, you know, we moved Hatfield to outdoors, and then we moved Leeds to outdoors, and these are two massive sites that we, you know, we basically the, the capacity of the the people, the number of people that went to Birmingham can easily fit into the other two. Yeah, um, you know, but the last Birmingham one, it was, you know, it we, you know, we didn't sell out. You know, this is the point. It's like, you know, and. The NEC, I'm sure people can be aware, it will be. It was a very expensive venue to to do the event at, um, you know, and it just it just didn't stack up financially. I know people, you know, they they don't understand and feel like you know, 
you know, we experience what a lot of bands experience. You've seen when any tour goes, gets announced. Here's our UK tour. Yeah, here's our UK three or four tour. Dates, yeah. And people go crazy that that band is playing that thing. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, ultimately it's people expect events to be on their doorstep so they don't have to travel. Well, this is what I find hilarious, dude, is in America, yeah, people, I know. I was people use will exactly drive the same like example. three hours to go to, go to, to a show, show, no complaints. Yeah. In the UK, yeah. they'll live in Birmingham and they'll go, oh, I'm not going to Wolverhampton. Yeah, yeah. Do you think I'm going to Wolverhampton well, to see Well, that's when we move like, from Wolverhampton. That's a 20-minute train When right? we move from Wolverhampton to Birmingham, <laughs> yeah. people of Wolverhampton up in arms yeah. and they had to travel to Birmingham. Birmingham. It was Birmingham. like, oh, my God. So, yeah, also, yeah. as well, I'll say this. This isn't Ben, but I'll say this. Respectfully, every tour I've done, Birmingham is always the least sold. There is just something about Birmingham now. It wasn't always the case. Growing up, it was different. But now Birmingham just doesn't seem to be a very thriving, I don't know, pocket of the UK yeah. touring yeah. scene. Yeah, I it do just hear doesn't. that. Obviously, as a, as a promoter that only does leads, I'm often told that Birmingham isn't as strong for... for the sales are never as good. Yeah, I don't know why. No. It's, it's strange. Yeah, I so. guess maybe because the scene on a ground level isn't as thriving because mm. you know it breeds and feeds into it doesn't it yeah 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 um yeah will uh, it come knows? back ben ever <laughs> who knows who knows? <laughs> who knows who knows with you yeah what you're planning <laughs> next <laughs> um so i mean i'll be honest like what the venues that we're at now we, we it feels like we found a permanent home finally you so know? you're gonna stop getting greedier and growing <laughs> yeah i mean we've <laughs> you know so <laughs> 2020 that's obviously just been cancelled it was the first year where i say to people it was it was easy <laughs> as in we weren't hardly doing anything different we had added another stage i think or i just we changed the format of the stages um but you know we were in the same locations we were you know it was the first year where because every year we had to rewrite the rule book we had to rewrite yep. all the documentation of how jd is hated oh my god i've got to write all those uh, why don't you tell the story real quick if you can tell it quickly the amazing story that you told me um when the man you know amazing might be the wrong word with the context of this but the manchester attack happened and because of that and because of the the, the closing in of, you know, the red tape of the health and safety. You had to work very closely with the police, right? And it was actually them that gave you the recommendation to get the Hatfield site that you wanted. Is yeah, that right? Yeah. Because they'd was, seen how well behaved yes, Slam Dunk yeah, fans yeah. were and how easy it ran. And yeah, why don't so, you condense that story? Because I think it's a great insight. Yeah, so we were at Hatfield House at the time. We wanted to go we wanted to go to a bigger site. We wanted to keep it in Hatfield. We liked Hatfield. Hatfield were very supportive. The university was very supportive. And we were so we wanted to move to the the outdoor site Hatfield Park or Hatfield House, well Hatfield Park at Hatfield House. So we wanted to get to this site, and they'd run events previously. So we went to speak to them and said, "They said no music festivals." They said, "I said, please, can we? Run You've had a music festival, no music festivals." And so I did a bit of digging. It turns out that their last um, last music festival was a, was a dance festival. Yeah, and crazy rave with laughing yeah, gas. Uh, and yeah, so it was the yeah, it was the gas. That was the thing. So they had various problems, problems with you know antisocial behaviour, like loads of drugs problems, problems with the police, loads of problems with the lo yeah, local residents, and everybody just said no more music festivals. And I I started out to try to convince them that rock fans aren't the same as dance fans but originally they didn't they they didn't see this and 
Um, and yeah, I was trying to convince them, look, look, please come down to the event and see the thing. You know, rock fans and you know people of this genre, they have to, you know, they should pat themselves on the back that the rock fans in general are are very good, and they they are known they are known for not causing trouble and being nice fans well behaved well behaved yeah. and you know and ironically yeah yeah and and ultimately so yeah they the i think it was as you say the manchester attacks unfortunately like you know terrible thing that happened that and they had just happened to happen just before sam dunk festival um you know and we were like that that week was you know unbelievable um Must week have been before hell, yeah so you know processing everything that happened obviously the, we were all in fear that you know if it could happen there could it happen to guitar festival and then you know being and sort of reassuring do we go ahead speak, with it, yeah, to speak, yeah. you know consultation with the police uh local authorities you know it was an absolute nightmare and obviously of course it went ahead but with very thorough you know with increased security and increased um security and of course a police presence yeah and of course the police came down to hatfield and ultimately they saw uh you know the police were in mass at hatfield and they actually saw um, you know, they saw the festival and how nice everyone was, and there was no problems. There was none of the, you know, the, the problems that I had at the dance festival. And, yeah, ultimately, um, they, you know, they got behind us and had came, you know, said to have to ask, this isn't that dance festival, give it, you know, give it, give them a go. And they did, and, you know, we got that site and we're still there now. We work great with Field House. Uh, the council down there were so supportive and great. Uh, the police are supportive. You know, the local residents are great. We meet with the local residents, make sure they're happy and they're lovely. And yeah, that that that's you know home. We want to stay in Hatfield for as long as possible. Leeds, as I said, we've made a home there, and you know we'll, hope, we'll probably be at those two sites for a long time to come. Amazing. So we've learned from this conversation that we have Yumi at six and the police <laughs> to thank for the longevity and security of yeah, Slamdo. Now, right. Ben, as we approach the end, the, the final topic I'd love to get into you know, with you is you must have over the years had a few bands that come up time and time again yeah. that people go, why haven't you booked so-and-so? Mm. Why has this person never played? What mm. about, um, are there a few recurring ones that yeah, you'd like to yeah, discuss of here? Course. Of course, uh, and I was kind of, well... And perhaps why you haven't? Yeah, I mean, a bit of insight into into the booking of it in general. Um, I mean, so the first thing you've mentioned before is the, um, you know, that particular, you um, you focus on one particular stage, the Scar stage. So one thing with Sandrick is like, I like to try to make sure if they, if someone goes there and they're into a particular subgenre, there is enough for them. Well, so, dude, um, now you pretty much have. If you like yeah. post hardcore, yeah, then you can a, just stay at one yeah, stage yeah, all ultimately. day. That's kind of now we don't, where it's at. Yeah, and we don't. I don't like to mix it up. You know, like a festival that goes, oh yeah, we'll get moving round and everybody moving but in between stages. It's like if someone wants to, someone wants to stay at a particular music, they can stay at one stage, and we need to. Make sure that stage is good enough for them to stay there all day. There's enough of to so, you know, we'd never book, you know, we'd never get to a point where we would just have one scar band on the bill just to kill. We would make sure there's a you know, a full 
film there's five or no yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so there's so we always make sure there was enough like to 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 balance the genres um so yeah and i mean the main thing that yeah of course we get that people saying why isn't this band played and etc i mean Blink 182. Yeah, I, I bet mean, you get them a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, ultimately, you know, the bigger the bigger bands are, you know, I'll be honest, they are too big to play the festival when Green they come Day, over. Green Day, Blink yeah, 182. Exactly. Too big. Paramore yeah, now, yeah, for yeah. that Boy now. They, if they come over and they can do a big arena tour, ultimately they will come over and do a big arena tour. They're not going to do Slam Dunk instead of coming over and doing an arena tour. And ultimately, you know, any, any on small, like, you know, um, Weezer too big? I, oh. uh, I do. So we, personally, I don't think Weezer totally fits in the genre of Slam Dunk. I mean, I'm sure people would argue with it's me. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because like Jimmy World are very, very similar, but mm. I think it's a slight generational yeah. thing, isn't it? Weezer yeah. are... I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we... But then no effects and punk and yeah, jungle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's a it's, minefield, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been hard over the years, like kind of making that call on, you know, what trying to keep. Do you have the yes the and the no list? <laughs> Slam dunk friendly or not? No. Well, just <laughs> just whether we think they fit in the genre. You know, admittedly, there are some choices that we make on that. But also, you know, ultimately, there is a lot of people that go, "Why haven't you got this band?" I don't think people realise that we do ask these bands and I think people think that if we ask them to play, they, they will play. So go on then, who's but turned it down? I can't, I can't no. get, I'm certainly <laughs> not going to list that. But there's a number of bands that we have asked multiple times. So a lot of these bands are people, why don't you get this band to play? We've asked them. They've said no. It's like, we can't do anything about it. You know, we, you know. Will you keep asking? Is there a point yeah, where oh, Ben yeah, Ray ever gives uh, yeah, up? Yeah, of course. I mean, there's certain bands that, you know, we've, you know, I'm not one of these persons that, you know, will take it personally and go, you know, and just go, well, I've asked you once or 10 times, I remember, like, I'm never asking you again. This is the last time. Have of you asked course. the offspring? I, 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 I can't. <laughs> I, I'm not going, I'm to, not going to comment don't. on individual bands. <laughs> yeah. uh, Great answer. I, I, I will say this. Offspring are open to playing the best. There we go. We... Uh, I'm sure they wouldn't be upset with me saying that. They 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 would like to play the festival at some point. The timing hasn't been right. That's the other thing. I mean, I could probably go on for another hour about the ins and outs and without, you know, overstepping the mark and saying too much that I shouldn't say. There are certain, you know, facts that some people have guessed, obviously, about um, exclusivity, exclusivity um, and, and timing, ultimately. You know, people said, why can't you play this band? Why can't this band play? Well, they were over in UK earlier in the year or they're coming in later. I mean, I get, I can't understand sometimes. I go, can this band play? Are they, and, you know, the band say, oh, they're not over in the UK at the end of May. They're coming in at the end of August. And I'll still, well, can't they come in in May? Yeah. And it's like, there's so much of a bigger picture that, you know, even I, you know, knew to some stuff and the fact of how, you know, you've got to look how it's not, UK is a small island at the end of the day, and you've got to look at it. these international well, Brexit's bands. Brexit's going to change well. a lot as well, isn't it? I, I don't know how much on how much it'll affect. Um, you don't think a lot of international series. bands might just skip the UK altogether? I don't know. I think the bands will still come to the UK. It's obviously going to be bad 
very bad for industry. So it's, it's mainly it's going to affect UK bands wanting to tour Europe. Right. That's the main thing, and the other thing. But you, the industry you do think kind that of American bands, stuff. European, well, yeah, American I think bands yeah, US bands. To... Oh, they'll always come to the UK. It's too much of a good market not to. Um, Thank God. So for that. they yeah. So they they you know they, it's all about your so when they come over in the summer they want to do a run of European festivals so and you you got to look at the festivals that are around Slam Dunk and the ones that come over and you know bands will say well we're not coming over in May because we come in August I was like oh, you can't. and they go well no it's not just about UK it's about these other European festivals like you say exclusivity I think people know now that bands will only play one the only bands so if bands that... are playing Download they're not going to play Slam Dunk and vice versa and the that's only... not because we've said we won't but they just don't want to. They're not going to come or can't afford various reasons. They're not going to come to UK more than once in a. Skin summer. Dread Ben, it seemed to me to be the only band that gets to play Download and Reading and and all of them. And that they didn't they play Slam Dunk yeah, early they, on yeah, yes. beneath Cap Down. So it was yes. them then Cap Down. Yes, they Ima- did. I imagine Cap too... Down playing above Skin Dread now. Yeah, it was obviously just when Skin Dread was starting, yeah, or yeah. just as they were breaking or something like that. It was yeah, two thousand and nine or something. So it's a long time ago. Yeah, so... So, uh, um, I want to ask you this. As a dream booking, who are we talking? <laughs> you must... I mean, you, this is the thing everybody asks I mean, me you've that. I mean, no, you've got no effects with their yeah. own stage. Yes, that's that, that, that's that, probably one of them I, done I, I, already. I will right? be honest with it. So, everybody thinks it'll be someone, you know, the big ones, which, of course, it is. I'd love to have Blink play, of course. Uh, Blink, Green Day, you know, Power Back, you know, I'd love to have Fall Out Boy back, Panic at the Disco, you know, all the... You know, ultimately... Fall Out like Boy for the twentieth anniversary. It's got to be twenty twenty six. That's the that's the goal. Uh, I will ask them. I'll tell you that. I'll I'll, I'll certainly ask them. Um, so Go on, then. The, the, my, my my favorite band though, that 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 hasn't played yet that I want to is Rancid. Oh mate, well we've spoken so, about this yeah. many so times course, before. You know, so no, you know, I I'm a, a a big you know punk fan, and obviously the two main ones obviously have been fans of them and. Wanting them to play the festival was no effects and and Rand said I was there. I hadn't I hadn't had no effects play till you know 2019 and you know and you know I worked get on getting them and they came. Not only did they come, they brought their their whole sort of stage with them, so that was amazing. And I mean I know like you know working with Fat Mike has been amazing, nicest guy ever. He's a great guy. Yeah, um, I don't care what anyone says about Mike. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's a great dude. Yeah, he's I first great. met him with you, and yeah. I've had several conversations with him since then. Yeah. And just a beautiful guy, very misunderstood. Mm-hmm. You know, he's out there; he lives a loud life. Yeah, but what a guy! So I, like, I, mean, yeah. I don't want to live in a world without Fat Mike. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so he, he's great, and you know, I'd, I'd, that's the thing. I'd love to have no effects play every year now, but uh, I'm sure that's uh, there will be various things that. I know someone who might have something to say about that. <laughs> but yeah, Rancid, dude. I mean, if you get them, please let me host yes, and DJ so that so. stage. Can we drink to that? Yes. yes Is there so. anything else you want to mention or, or bring no, up? No, no, no. That's good. good. I think we touched on everything about the history. My notes have been covered. Like it's, uh, yeah, we've, and like I say, I'm, you know, last thing I'm booking, it's, it's not actually made that books the festival. It's, it's the public. It's, you know, we, you know, I'll be honest, like, we are booking a festival for to get the maximum number of people there. And to do that, people vote for the bands to play, and they do that by going to shows the rest of the year. So being a, being a promoter, you know, I put these bands on the rest of the year. 
I speak to other promoters from around the country. We ultimately, I look at the bands that are selling tickets, you know, and we will put on the bands that are, are selling the tickets. So if you want to see a band on a, on a festival, I say, get out and get to those small shows. Go, you know, go and if there's a new band coming around, go and see them at a small 300 capacity venue. And, you know, if, you know, ultimately, if I see a band go around the UK and sell out three new bands that's suddenly going around selling out all these small venues, they will end up on the festival. And the case in point right there is the mm. Interrupters. Yes, one of oh, the yeah. most could exciting so, and incredible yeah. bands to happen to yes. our, you know, favorite scene of ska. Like yeah, they've completely yeah. rejuvenated it. They're on the cover of Kerrang. They're selling out venues. Yes, thank yeah. God for that band. Yeah. I mean, you know, my favorite new band of the last couple of years, and you know, we've spoke so much about this band. I mean, they, you know, ska is a scene that you know. Well, it's it's, it's know, maligned, it's, isn't yes, it? And yes. people love to have digs at it, yeah, and it's and quite easy fodder a lot of the there's time. There's no been new, like it's gone away, and it's kind of died, you know. There's no new bands been coming through, and everybody will admit that, you know. Um, and and to suddenly have a to suddenly have a new band come through, and them, and, and them be good, yes, be really, really, really good, good, really good. I mean, I love that band. You know, I you know. The, the few times I've seen him now, it's yeah, it's it's great, and I hope to have them back. And yeah, I hope I just go and listen to some scar. That's it. How I'll, how I'll end it. Well, here's what I'll say to end it. Right, is for for ages there was no new scar bands, and it is like oh god, real big fist, less than Jay again. But here's what's up, and I say this with all due respect to bands like Enchikari and Don Broker, who are human beings and musicians that I love dearly. I do wonder, and will time will tell, if they will still be doing sold-out tours every yeah. year in 20 years' time, yeah. which yeah. Less Than Jake and Real Big Fish and Bowling for Soup yeah. and all those bands are. Yeah. That's an incredible achievement. Yeah. Yeah. As much as you want to knock it, yeah. that's an amazing thing. Yes. Um, and, and all all the respect in the world to, <laughs> to the aging ska punk rockers yeah. around the world. Ben Ray, thank you for all the hard work and, and just love You're and, welcome. and You're passion welcome. you pour into music because that festival I know is the highlight of so many people that I know's festival and social calendar. It's, you know, it's a glorious occasion every year. And um, just thank you for all the work that you put in behind the scenes, bringing it to the people, dude. Thank you. Thank you. I'm a match. She cares in. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 